Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 16. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. Ecclesiastes 3, 19 through 21. I also said to myself, as for humans, surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 3. So I have concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Ruby. Who on earth picked out that scripture passage? <laughs> Let me give you a proposition here to look at and to think about. The only possible answer to the suffering and injustice that fills our world is that there is life beyond this life. Do you agree with that? The only possible answer to all the suffering and injustice that fills our world is that this life isn't all there is, that there must be another place where justice is going to be seen and justice reigns. This, that was a, a note that I wrote, uh, 1992, October, after the memorial service of my uh, brother. 
after he had been killed at age 43 by a drunk driver down in Laredo, Texas. It was the third DUI of that drunk driver. And he'd been let out prematurely from the third one, had immediately gone out and gotten drunk again, gotten into his truck. My brother was driving one of those big yellow freight truck because he was a trucker. And he was getting directions from a state police officer in, in Texas when uh, going over 100 miles an hour. My brother not even seeing him, the truck hit him. He didn't even have a chance. I wrote that down afterwards. The only possible answer to something like that, that kind of injustice, is that I'll see my brother again, that this life is not all that there is. I, I've been thinking about that all week as I thought about the text that Ruby read for us, and especially as what happened in UCLA, down at UCLA happened this week. Have you followed that with the uh, disgruntled student who came in and shot Dr. Bill Klug to death? Do you know very much about uh, uh, Dr. Klug? Um, he's a Westmont College grad. He and his wife are strong, wonderful uh, believers in the Lord Jesus. And while he did his PhD at Caltech, he was an active member of our church family. Uh, Dan and Laura Crichton of the Home Builders class, where he was an active part, uh, sent me some pictures. I, I put up one of them here for you to see them. That's, um, you, you, see their, uh, you see Bill and Mary Anna, uh, Elise, Mary Elise, uh, at, at wearing uh, uh, what, square dancing stuff. We need to have more of those. As a West Virginia you know, person, we, we don't have enough of those. Um, and then, of course, he kind of looks the same now as a UCLA prof. Uh, I thought about that. Their two little children who are going to have to grow up without their dad. And I thought, how do we deal with that sort of thing? A part of it, we stand with them as a church family. So I'll, I'm going to put a, a URL up here. Uh, there is a fund to try to help with the, the children, with the family during this time of tragedy. You might want to take a picture of that right now or write it down. Uh, perhaps you'd like to join his church where he now is down by El Segundo and the UCLA family in helping out uh, with that family during this time. But I thought so much about this, that if, you know, using Solomon's idea, if under the sun, if this is all there is, and there's no life after this life, this is an unjust world, this, this is absurd. And so once again, I say the only possible answer to the suffering and injustice that fills our world and all of our lives at one time or another is that this life is not all that there is, that there is life beyond this life. And that brings us into the heart of what Solomon takes up over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us today, we've been going through this a great deal, and we've been seeing how Solomon probes all those places where people in our world try to find real meaning in their lives without any reference to God. He says none of them really work because they don't last. But one of the things he keeps bringing up over and over again is this, that whatever joy you may find in temporary things, when death comes, it brings an end to all of that. And it really indicts what so many people in our world live for whether they live for the great accomplishments or the building of their business or whether they build for, live for the pleasures that they have or the big home that they have or whatever they live for, that if that's all there is when death comes, it takes it all away. Uh, Solomon talks about it so often. I've just picked out the three texts that Ruby read for us. So here's what I've done. I've taken those three texts. 
I've drawn out a couple of lessons from them that I want you to think about, and then I'm going to just talk about what I pray you'll take home with you today. So from chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, first lesson I wrote down is this. Please know that it's coming. Don't ignore it. It's coming to you. And Solomon wrote, I saw that it's better to be a wise person than a fool. He said, light is better than darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. I have a sense when I read through Ecclesiastes that Solomon knew that most human beings don't like to talk much about death. And if that was true in his world, that is really true here in Southern California. <laughs> we, we like to try to make ourselves always look young and, you know, vibrant and, and vital. And I, I found that it's almost impossible to get anybody even to talk about death. The very, maybe you didn't know I was going to talk to you about it today, and you're here. Maybe some of those who aren't here aren't here because, they, because this topic, when you talk about it, is viewed as morbid. And we in our society have found ways to shove it out of places of discussion. Uh, George Wald, the, uh, the Nobel Prize winner, wrote this. I've written it down so you, just, so you can see it. He said, just realize, I am 69, and I have never seen a person die. I've never even been in the same house while a person died. The greatest events of life have been taken out of our experience in our generation. We somehow hope to live full emotional lives when we have carefully expunged the sources of the deepest human emotions. When you have no experience of pain, it is rather hard to experience joy. Uh, just think about your life. I, I think Wald is right. I, I would imagine that it's been a long time since you had a meaningful discussion with anyone about this matter of death, something that we don't talk about, though we know it is coming to us all. It didn't used to always be that way in our society. When I read about it, it hasn't been in my life, but when I read about it, uh, it used to be people were sometimes born in the same house, as they eventually died in, you know, as families were much more stable. But no more, no more. Now, as I said, we, we try to cover it up and, you know, through vitamins and uh, cosmetics, try to putty in those wrinkles. <laughs> we, we try to get rid of the idea that this is coming to us. Now, my life as a pastor, as you can well imagine, has been very different from George, George Wald's because death is a necessary a normal part of ministry. Uh, I'll never forget, I think I've told you about this, I'll never forget the first funeral services I ever conducted. I was like a 26 or 27-year-old uh, seminarian. Um, the, the senior pastor of the church had taken off for a mission trip, and in that first week that he was away, five people died. <laughs> uh, I sent a quick note. We didn't have email back then. I sent a quick note saying, you've got to get back here. They're knocking off like flies. I remember the angst, the angst that I had, the anxiety I had as, I, as such a young man would go into these families who, in our society, had never thought about death themselves very much or talked about it. Now I was coming in trying to help them to wrestle through, struggle through the reality of death coming to them. Um, so I've dealt with it. I've also been in places where people have died. 
Uh, one I tell you about probably more often than I should. Uh, uh, the time, the most painful time was when I was holding my own daughter, little Brittany Ann, when she passed away up in Fresno, California. It was 1984, it's hard to believe, 32 years ago. It's amazing how that reality gets so emblazoned, you know, in your brain. Uh, I remember everything about it that, that evening. I'll never forget it. Uh, I remember the curtain that they pulled around us. Chris, you remember that too, don't you? The, uh, <laughs> it's so emotional. Uh, I remember the sights. I remember the sounds. I remember the smells in that room. So when I talk to you about this subject this morning, you know it's a very personal one for me. I think you're aware of that. But I want you to know it's a very personal one for you too. That, that no matter what happens, someday this reality of death will become one very real to you. Uh, it might be a, someone that you love or a friend who is close to you. It's probably already happened for most of us who are here. The thing I want you to know is this, that unless Christ returns soon, a death is going to come to everybody that's close to me, and it's going to come to me too. And today I want you to know it's going to come to you, and we should live our lives in the light of that. It's one of the things I think Solomon wanted people to recognize, that it's real, that it's coming, and that it's coming to you, and I want you and me to face that too. Which brings me to the second lesson as we come to chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. And I've written it this way. You can probably think about it in other ways. But I think about the things that try to motivate us to live a good life and to live well and wisely. And I've written this. You're going to have a diminishing motivation to live a good life or even a moral life if this life is all there is. And so Solomon wrote, I said to myself, the fate of the fool is going to take, overtake me also. You realize, I mean, Solomon had been gifted with the gift of wisdom, human wisdom, which, I mean, he was seeking to live well, and he knew there's a better way to live than fools were living, not wasting his life. And he said, what difference does that make if I just try to do every bit thing that the doctor tells me to do and the psychologist tries to tell me to do? Because, look, I could live foolishly, and the same thing overtakes me. What do I gain from being wise? This is meaningless, he said, because like the fool, the wise too must die. In this, I think Solomon is really talking uh, to, I'm guessing, most of us who come to a, a church like this one, that we don't want to live foolish lives. I mean, there are a few people in our world that, that I guess will say, I want to live foolishly. I'll just live lazy, <laughs> you know. I'll just eat whatever I want. I don't care how much cholesterol is in it. I guess there are a few that just say, I'll just go out and drink all the time. And get but most of us really want to live well and want to be healthy and, and, and feel good. And, and he's really saying here, well, that's, it's better to do that. It's better to try to live wisely than just to be a fool. But at the same time, he says, what difference does it make in the long run if this life is all there is, if what is under the sun is all there is? Um, my dad used to talk to me about this. He, he talked about um, when he went to the senior center, Later on in his life, he would talk about the new residents who would come into the senior centers. He said when they would come in cranky, uh, the longer they were with us, they just became crankier. When they came in uh, selfish, they just became more and more selfish. He would talk about how some of the men who came in, uh, during most of their lives, 
They had tried to live moral lives and be faithful to their wives and to their families, but the longer they were there, all, all, the, uh, all the things that kept them trying to live a moral life, they, they seemed to just diminish, and they became the proverbial dirty old men. And, and so my dad said this to me, as people get old, they don't seem to think that they have to give account to God if they don't even believe in Him. They have no fear of God. So as they age, they lose their filters, and they live more and more for themselves. You see, sometimes when we're younger, we keep thinking we're going to live forever, and we try to have this motivation to live well, but as we get to be older, we begin to realize we won't, and the motivation to live well just diminishes. I, I, I think that if Solomon were writing these verses today, he might even write some of the younger parents who are here today who urge your kids to live wisely rather than foolishly. Get your homework done. Don't get into drugs. Don't get into gangs. Practice for sports. <laughs> you know, get your music practice so you can get a scholarship and you can actually make it through. You know, all those are wise things, but you see what Solomon is saying, that if there is no life after this life, then all of our wise doing and do-gooding still will end in the same place. It will end in death. Which brings me to the third lesson that I see in chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. And this is a reality I really think so many successful people in our world just need to come to grips with. You'll find that all those things you build with your life and that you accomplish in this world are, are going to be gone if this life is all there is. So here he takes up the relationship between human beings and animals, you know. So he says, the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. And then this phrase is so important. All have the same breath. If there's no God and there's nothing under the sun. <clears throat> what Solomon is doing there, if that doesn't make any sense to you, which I'm guessing it doesn't, all have the same breath. He's taking us back to Genesis 1 to 3 when God created everything. And remember, when he created human beings, he made us in his image in chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And then in chapter 2, when he pulls back to talk about how God dug into the earth, out of the dust of the earth, and created human beings, do you remember what it says? It says, he breathed his breath into human beings. So this, this idea that the breath of God is breathed into you and me is something that was very dear to the, to the Jewish people that we're different from the animals because the breath of God resides in us. There's something eternal about human beings because the breath of God is there. But Solomon says, listen, uh, if, if under the sun is all there is and there's no God, then we have the same breath. Uh, and even though we might have more abilities than animals to accomplish and build things because that's a part of what we have, uh, Genesis 1:26 and following, human beings made in God's image have this ability to rule over and to care for the world and to have things that sustain what is good and to create as God created. And you have that whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. But he says if you engage in that and you live for those things you create and accomplish and think that's what my life is all about, I don't need God, I've built a big company, I don't need God. Look at how successful I am. See what he's saying? You're really no different from an animal because if there's no God, then the same breath resides within you, and when death comes, that it's all there is, and what you have been living for is gone. 
it's, it's, this is not a comedy as a sermon, is it? He tells us that we need to find, as human beings, something that lasts and that's eternal if we're going to find real meaning in life. My, um, you know, my fo- folks either became believers or really committed their lives to the Lord when I was about six years old. And then they got involved in a church, and there's a plaque, and I've seen so many people who've grown up in homes like mine who have, have the same plaque on their, their wall. I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. My, my father used to have devotions at the kitchen table uh, every morning, so I'd come down the stairs, and he would always be there having his devotions. And right above him, I, just, I, I see it so, so clearly, would be this plaque. Um, and I found it online, very same plaque. It's not exactly the same one, the same kind of plaque. Only one life. Twill, I always remember that, twill. Only one life we have, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And then Philippians 1.21 from the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. And the point of the Bible is that when Christ is in your life, and you live your life being led by him and by the Holy Spirit that he gives to you, then seek to bring glory to him through every encounter, through showing the love of God to others, and especially by giving witness to Jesus. Those lives that we have, that apart from God, are going to be ended with death, have an eternal dimension to them. Um, but But if under the sun is all there is, that he says, all go to the same place, uh, all come from dust, all to dust returned. And when you get to chapter 9, in case you and I have missed the point, Solomon puts it so clearly. So I'll just read to you what he says, verses 2 and 3 of Ecclesiastes 9. So all share a common destiny. The good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, Those who do religious things like go to the 9 o'clock service at Lake Avenue Church (laughs) and those who do not, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. So the hearts of people are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live and then afterward they join the dead. I can't say that message any more clearly than Solomon did. So I'll leave his words with you. All I can ask you to do is to respond to it. How? I've prayed about it all week. and I've jotted down a few things I'm praying you'll take home from a message like this. Uh, number one, uh, here's what I'm praying. I want each one who comes to church today to be sure that you personally have ha- found hope, eternal hope, in the midst of this dying world. Do you have it? Do you know that this life is not all there is? Do you know that you have eternal life? That even if you die now, it's not the end of things. Uh, Peter uh, preached a sermon through a book he wrote uh, to a group of Christians in what's now Turkey. It's where some of the very first martyrs for the Lord Jesus were taking place, so people were losing their life, and he wanted to preach to them about what makes a difference when we come to know Jesus. And this is what he wrote. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. God has given us a new birth into a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us a new birth into an inheritance 
that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Because through Christ, you are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the eternal salvation of your soul. We live for more than just temporary things. Uh, you see, I have come to a conclusion that believing in Jesus changes every part of life, don't you think? But I think that the place where we see it most clearly in this world is when death comes into the equation. And we think about, is there more to life than just this? You see, so many times uh, people look at followers of Jesus and call us escapists because we need religion. Have you ever heard that? Uh, you religious people, you can't handle the hard things of life. And so religion for you is just this crutch. They, what do you say about that? I say that is so wrong. It is absolutely wrong. As, as I've dealt with people who are facing death and dying, I'm telling you this. The only ones I've ever met who can look death squarely in the face without fear and have confidence in the midst of the sorrow that is there, to have confidence that there is hope in spite of death are those who believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. I, I've just seen it so often. People who all their lives sort of scoffed at religious people that when death comes to someone close to them or they're told that they have terminal cancer, suddenly show up in church hoping that there might be somebody there who believes in life beyond the grave. Now at those times, I don't want to mock anyone who may be like that and even show up at church today at all. But we have an opportunity to point people to the only hope in the face of the grave. But we can't offer that hope unless we have it ourselves. So I ask you again, have you found the hope of the eternal resurrected Jesus in the midst of this dying world? See, see what we need when we realize, when we come to grips with the fact that death comes to everyone in this world, is someone who has actually experienced death in this world and defeated it and says there is a power even greater than death. And we know that person, don't we? That person is Jesus. So that when you and I think about death and dying or deal with somebody who does, well, we have to say that, listen, this whole question of what happens after death has been pulled out of the realm of mystery for us because someone actually came into this world in history, experienced death, and in history, defeated death through the resurrection, and hundreds of people saw him. And not only did he defeat it, but he promises eternal life and our own resurrection to all who believe in him. This is the heart of the good news that you and I have to offer to a dying world. And I just want to make sure today that you have that eternal hope through faith in the resurrected Jesus. Have you brought Jesus into your life? Do you know that he is your Savior and Lord? If not, will you, will you tell him today, here's my life. I'll believe in you. I'll trust you and I follow you. And for the rest of us, we need to make a recommitment to that. That we won't just be sort of churchians, but true Christians, followers of Jesus trusting him whatever happens in this world. It's my first prayer today. Second, I am praying that all of us at Lake will be sensitive to the pain of people in our world who wrestle with death. It's hard, isn't it? Whether those people are Christians 
or not Christians. So make note of this in case you wonder. Christians and non-Christians alike experience sorrow in the face of death. Anybody agree with me there? <laughs> we, we do. In spite of the fact that we have this hope, I have never experienced as much sorrow and pain in my, in my life as those times when people close to me have died whether that was, was our daughter or whether that was my brother, whether that was Chris's mom who died just a few years before, un- prematurely, just a heart, just a valve replacement, but unexpectedly it was gone. I, I remember when, I think I've told you this, when little Brittany Ann died, we got notes and people said to us, well-meaning, aren't you glad that your little girl is in the hands of Jesus now? Yes, <laughs> yes, but inside, I wanted to be with her. Have you ever read C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, where he had lost his wife, and he writes this book, and he didn't even want to put his name on it, because people knew he was a Christian, and, and he had felt so much sorrow in the midst of facing that death that he didn't want them to be shaken, their faith to be shaken, and yet it was so real to him. And what he said, I resonate with it when I read it, he said, I wanted to be with her. Yes, I know she's there somewhere, but I wanted to be here and be with her and hold her and be with her now, and that's how I feel. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5. I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. There is a sorrow, but it is a sorrow that is filled with an eternal hope. And if you say, that's messy, (laughs) or or is that platitudes, pastor, that sorrow with a real hope, I'm just telling you that's the way it is. Uh, You so much long, because death is still an enemy. Death came into this world because of sin. It's, It's an enemy whose absolute defeat has been pronounced, but it still comes into this fallen world. And until Christ has come a second time and brought an end to death, we will still feel sorrow. And so I'm telling you, whenever people face it, if they're Christians or non-Christians, we've got to settle in and be sensitive to what happens there. It means sometimes needing to listen, not speaking too quickly, saying... Just tell me, I I care about you. Just tell me how you feel. I pray that we'll be the kind of caring community that when death comes into any of our lives, because it will, won't it, in some way, that people will always know there's my family who will care, not give me just pat answers, and, and walk with me. I want us to be sensitive to what people feel in the midst of this dying world. And then the third... It feels like it's going to be contradict the second, but it doesn't. I want us to learn to bring people who are struggling with death and dying to Jesus. We all live in this dying world. From the moment uh, we're conceived and, and implantation happens in the womb, you know, the mom, people say we begin a journey that will end in life, it with birth, but the reality is it begins the journey that ultimately is going to end in death. I'm not being morbid here when I say that, but it's just a a reality that is there. The the life goes so quickly. And and so I I join Solomon in saying we dare not ignore this reality. But the good news that we hold on to is that there is eternal life to all who place their trust in Jesus. Again, that's what we have to offer to our world. 
And sometimes when you're at work or in a neighborhood and, and there's somebody who is going through that tough time when they have heard the doctors say you have terminal cancer or whatever is there, it may well be that God has put you in that place just for that time. And you and I need to find the courage to be able to speak of Jesus at such a time. It's becoming harder and harder in our world that just wants to, to leave any talk of, of God someplace else. But I tell you, we've got to find that courage at least to come in and say, oh, I know how hard this is, but may I share with you, I have found hope in the midst of this world, and it comes through Jesus. And the hope that I have is available for you too. What, what, what did Jesus say at the, at the graveside of his friend Lazarus? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he be dead physically, he will never die. The, the only thing that will help us to make any sense out of death sometimes coming prematurely, coming to children, out of professors at UCLA being shot by a disgruntled faculty member, a drunk driver who should have still been in prison, killing some. These are unjust things. The only thing that can make any sense out of that is that this life is not all there is. There is a life beyond this life. There is a God who says, I will make sure that evil is dealt with, that my, my universe will be seen to be just. I will make sure that faith is rewarded. That's the Jesus that we believe in. So I'm going to leave you with those great texts that we often only read at Easter. But it is good for us every time we gather in a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We testify about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Now, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life under the sun we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, grave, is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is never meaningless. It will bring glory to God. Amen. 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 May I lead us in prayer? Just bow your heads for a moment. First, as I said, my, my 
first, primary, my deepest concern for you today is that you have that eternal hope in this dying world. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? You heard little Jackson talking today about his faith. It's so simple that a child can embrace it, and you can too. You need to confess your sins to him. Ask him to forgive you. Turn from them and entrust your life to him. Place your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Ask him to come into your life. Will you make sure of that now? That Jesus is indeed your Savior and the one who gives you eternal life. For the rest of us, just let God show you how you should apply this message to your life. Life under the sun will go by awfully quickly. Your life can make an eternal difference if you live wholeheartedly to bring honor to him. Will you make a recommitment to following him as the Lord of your life? Our Father, speak to us today. Every moment of life that we breathe is a gift from you. That is to be lived with you. So today, Father, we see that even though this life is short, it can have an eternal impact when lived to your glory. Show us how we should respond to this, your word, that each one of us might leave this place more grateful to you, more ready to live for you than when we walked in, that people may see us, and when they see us, see you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.